Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Chapter 49. All the next day, I waited for dust to fall. Time passed with agonizing slowness. To make things worse, Baldwin called for me to entertain him while he got new boots measured by a shoemaker. What scum he was. I had to keep him amused while I thought of plunging a dagger into his heart. Yet, all the while, I could barely count the time. I kept repeating Bet's words to myself. I went over in my mind what I would do. How I would pull this off. I dreamed of Sophie's face. The face I had known since I was a child. I imagined us back at our inn. Rebuilding it from scratch. Starting our life again. Having another child. I sat on the bare mat as the afternoon wound down, watching the sun descend. Finally, the light from the slats above my face grew dim. It was dusk. It was finally time to see Sophie. I made my way down to the kitchen. Bet was bustling about, complaining to the staff, a damp cloth pressed to her head for effect. I've, I've got to lie down. I've got the Duke's meal still to prepare. Who will carry over the soup to the tavern? Hugh! What luck, she said, spotting me. Will you be a dear? I am but two hands, I joked to the staff. And one, I wiggled a finger and sniffed with a wrinkled nose, I used for scratching. That's all I need, Bet led me away. Just make sure the other stays out of the soup. She took a covered pot from the hearth and announced, Give it to Armand, the jailer, and give him that jug of wine. You done me a good turn, fool. Then she gripped me conspiratorially by the arm. I wish you luck, Hugh. Be careful. It's a bad place you go to now. It's hell. I carried the pot and jug of wine across the courtyard. My arms trembled a bit. Two guards stood at the door of the keep, different ones than those who had booted me away the other day. Ding, ding, ding. Dinner bell, I announced ceremoniously. Who the hell are they putting to work in the kitchen now, one of them asked. I do it all. Jokes to dessert. The Duke's expenses must be trimmed. The Duke must be bankrupt if he sent you, the other guard said. To my relief, they didn't question me. One opened the heavy door. If you had nicer tits, I'd carry it down for you, he sniffed. The door slammed shut behind me. I felt a tremor of relief. I was in. I stood in a narrow stone corridor lit only by candles. A narrow stairway leading down. A draft hit me, then noises, 
The clang of iron, someone calling out, a high-pitched wail. I stepped down cautiously, my heart nearly bounding out of my chest, my neck beaded with cold sweat. I descended one step at a time, the pot clanging against the narrow walls, the wine jug pressed to my chest. The fearsome noises intensified, the smell grew horrible, like burned flesh. It made me think of Civito. I winced. Poor Sophie. If she was here, I had to get her out. Tonight. Finally, the passageway leveled out into a low, dungeon-like setting. The foul stink of excrement was all around. They were shouting from within, like that of mad people, terrifying moans and shrieks. I saw a hearth and in it, iron instruments, their tips white with heat. My stomach grew hollow. Suddenly, I did not know what to do, if I found her. Two soldiers sat straddling a wooden tabletop, stripped down to sleeveless tunics and skirts. A swarthy woman, hulking, imposing shoulders, snickered at the sight of me. We must be fucked. Look who brings our dinner. You're Armand? I lugged the pot over. He shrugged. And if you're the new chef, the Duke's really got it in for these poor bastards. Where's Bet? Down with a headache. She sent me instead. Just set it here. There's a pot from this afternoon you could take back up. I placed the pot on the table by a stack of wooden bowls. How many guests tonight in the tavern? What's it to you? The other asked. Never been down here before. I looked around, ignoring him. Cheery. You mind if I take a look? This isn't a marketplace, fool. You've done your chore. Now bug off. My chance was slipping away. I felt I only had a moment more to make my case. Come on, let me take in their food. I spend my day making silly jokes and spinning around like a top. Let me take a look. I'll bring them their bowls. I placed the wine jug on the table in front of him. Anyway, you guys really want to touch that slop? Armand slowly pulled the jug towards him. He took a swig of wine, then passed it along. Look, this is me real quick. I'm just busting in. So... If you have Hulu, which of course you do because now everybody has at least six streaming services they all watch repeatedly. I'm not going to say all the streaming services I listen to or, or, or watch because one of them is none of your business. And the streaming that it brings, the service it provides, <laughs> is not safe for work. I'm just kidding. I don't watch that anymore. Um, curious twice. At the, the, the fourth time, I was like, no more! Um, but... If you have Hulu, I urge you to watch The Princess. It's a movie. It's made by the same folks who made uh, another great uh, martial arts flick that is just rolling. Oh, Fury. So they made Fury, which is an amazing movie based out of uh, Vietnam. And I urge you to watch that. But The Princess is in English. Fury is in Vietnam. So it's Vietnamese. It's still dope. Uh, I urge you to watch it, definitely. But The Princess is on Hulu right now, and it's in English, and you should watch that. Also, watch Prey, and watch the Comanche dub of it. That's the way God meant it. What the hell? He shrugged and winked at his partner. Why not give the jester's dick its rise? Take what you want in there. It's free for the asking. Chapter 50 I turned a corner in the dungeon, and then I could make out the cells. The odor here was beyond belief, nearly unbearable. My God, Sophie. I finally sat down the soup pot and started to work. These people had to be fed, and while I did the task, I would search for Sophie in every dark corner. 
I began sloshing thin, murky gruel in the bowls. My heart beat like a warning bell, spun furiously back and forth. I carried two bowls to the first cell. My hands were trembling. Soup splattered on the floor. At first glance, the cell seemed to be empty. It was like a cave opening, dug out of solid rock and just a few feet deep. No light or sound, just the reek of human filth. A wet rat slithered out in front of my eyes. Then, in back, I saw the glow of eyes. They flickered, tremulous and afraid. From out of the shadow, a head, hairless, gaunt, a sunken face covered with runny sores. The prisoner crawled towards me, wild-eyed. I must be dead if it's a fool come for me. Better a fool than St. Peter. I knelt and shoved the bowl under the bars. His thin, palsied hand darted out and grabbed the wooden bowl. A momentary sadness ran through me. I had no idea what he had done to put him here. In Triel, there was no reason to assume he was guilty of anything. But I was not here for him. In the next cell was curled a moor. He was naked and filthy. Rats nibbled at sores on his legs. He muttered in a tongue I did not understand. He barely looked up at me, glassy-eyed. Take heart, old man. I passed the ball under the bars. Your time is almost up. I moved on to the next cells, not even going back for more soup. As with the first, the captives looked more like hunted animals than men. They groaned, peered out at me with beaten yellow eyes. I took a breath against the urge to violently wretch. Then from farther along came a wail. A woman. My body tensed. Sophie? I did not know if I could go on. There's your date, fool, Armand brayed from his post. Feel free to slip inside if she suits you. She has a magical tongue. I clenched my fists and made my way towards the woman's cries. Inside my belt, I grasped the hilt to my knife. If this was Sophie, I would surely kill the guards. Norcross, too. Norcross ain't even there. Like, for real? That's just petty. Like... There's two people in here, but if my wife is up in here, I'm taking three out. The woman's wail echoed again. Go to her, fool. The bitch doesn't like to be stood up, yelled Armand. I held my breath and stepped in front of the woman's cell. The stench was worse here. Unbearable. Why was that? She was crouched in a tight ball deep in the cell. A beam of light slanted across her hair, which was long and straggly. She seemed to clutch a doll or toy, whimpering like an abandoned child herself. My baby, she said, no more than a whisper. Please, my baby needs milk. I could barely see her. I could not make out her age or her face. I gathered myself and said, Is that you, Sophie? Fear shot through me. My breath froze. To be kept like this, it would be better if she were dead. The woman sputtered out nearly incoherent phrases. Poor baby, she muttered. Baby needs milk. Then something that sounded like Felipe. Oh God, I froze. I stepped closer to the bars. What had they done to her? Sophie, I called. My tongue grew dry on her name. It seemed her shape, her hair. Please turn around. Turn towards me. Let me see. Little one needs milk, she mumbled again. What can I do? Breasts are dry. Tears welled in my eyes. I still cannot see. Sophie, I said again. 
I ran myself up against the bars. Baby needs milk, I heard her say again, and then suddenly she emitted an ear-splitting, wrenching howl. It was like a blade running through me. I reached out, and her eyes finally caught sight of me. The breath froze in my chest. Her straw-like hair was falling over her face, but her eyes locked on mine. Yellow, veins running through them, the nose flat and pocked. Oh, God, it was not her. My legs buckled. It was not her. Part of me was giddy with joy. Another, crestfallen and disappointed. My baby, the woman called, pleading. She held out the doll for me to see. Oh, God. I recoiled. It was no doll. It was real. A tiny newborn child, bound in a call. Clearly dead. Stillborn. How can I help you? I whispered. How? Can't you see? She pushed the infant towards me. The child needs milk. Let me help. Milk! The woman shrieked. Feed him! There was nothing I could do. The poor woman was raving mad. I stared for a moment more, then flung myself back down the corridor towards the stairs. The jailers laughed as I went by. Leaving so soon, fool? Cried Armand. What? No jokes? I bolted out of the dungeon and up the stairs. Chapter 51 I ran in a cold sweat back to the castle and my alcove under the stairs. There, I threw myself on my mat. My breath raced panicked and wild. It was not her. My beloved Sophie must be dead after all. For the first time, I knew what had been understood all along by the people in my town. Sophie's brother, even Norbert, my mentor. There was no hope. She had been ripped from her child, raped, and left to die on the road. I knew it now, the darkest lesson in my life. I buried my head in my hands. This silly charade was over. I had clung to a hope, and now that hope was dashed. I must go. I ripped off my jester's hat and threw it onto the floor. I was no jester, just a fool. A bigger fool that never lived. I sat there for a long time, letting the truth sink in. I heard footsteps near my bed, then a voice. Is that you, Hugh? I raised my head to see Estella, the Chamberlain's wife. She had winked at me in court many times. She grabbed me and teased. Tonight, she had a loose shawl covering her shoulders. Thick auburn hair, which I had only seen braided and pinned until now, fell all about her neck. Her eyes were round and mischievous, and her timing couldn't have been worse. The hour is late, my lady. I am not at work. Perhaps I did not come for work, Estella said, stepping into my bed space. She let her shawl drop, revealing a loosely fitted bodice. What striking red hair, she whispered. Now how is it such a fiery fool can look so sad? Please, my lady, I'm not one for jokes this night. I'll be funny again in the morning. I don't need to laugh right now, Hugh. Let me feel you in another way. She sat down beside me, close. Her body was scented with fresh lavender and lilies. She reached out and stroked my face. I moved away from her touch. I have never seen such hair, she seemed fixed on it. It is the color of a flame. 
What do you really like, Hugh, when you're free of all those jokes? She pushed herself even closer. I felt the fullness of her breasts against my chest. One of her legs straddled mine. Please, my lady. But Estella pressed on. She wiggled her shoulders, letting her blouse fall to her waist. Her breast tumbled forward. Then I felt the hot tip of her tongue dance on my neck. I bet other parts of you contain the same fire as your hair. Touch me, Hugh. If you do not, I'll tell the Duchess you tried to grope under my dress. A commoner touching a noble's wife? Not a role you want to play. I don't understand why she's trying to risk it all for somebody who's below her. Like, I'm not even saying that in a mean way. He's literally below her. Like, she's the Chamberlain's wife. So, we're not going backwards when we risk it all in this family. I told my wife, if she's going to cheat on me, because she's a nurse now. If she's going to cheat on me, please don't let it be with a maintenance man. It better be with a doctor. Let it be with somebody who can buy me a Tesla. Like, I'm cool with that. If she's going to cheat on me, cheat up. Cheat with somebody who's going to be able to pay our house note. Cheat with somebody who's going to be able to take you out on weekends and you bring back the doggy bag and I can eat what's left over. Cheat up. Dang, cheating with the jester. What kind of a joke is that? I was in a trap. If I resisted her molestations, I'll be charged with molesting her. She nibbled at me. Then her hand entered my tunic, probing for my cock. My cock. Cock. I'm sorry. Every time I see that word, cock. <laughs> it's still like one of the whitest words in the world. I've never heard, even now, I've lived a long time. I still haven't heard a black person say cock. 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 I know. This is a book. I didn't put the explicit on it. I didn't know they were going to be talking about cock. <laughs> At that moment, I felt the tip of a blade digging into my neck. I held very still. A male voice boomed. What mischief have I stumbled onto? Chapter 52. The knife slowly drew back and I turned to face Norcross. The monster was grinning down at me. Norcross dug the blade in again, and I felt the warmth of blood trickling down my neck. A nasty situation, fool. The Lady Estelle is the wife of the Duke's Chamberlain, a member of the court. You must be mad to wag your dick at such a lady. See, even he doesn't say cock. <laughs> Panic pumped in my chest as I realized I had been set up. I did nothing, my lord. My heart pounded wildly. The little dick had no urge, Estella sighed. It seems our fool's only ardor is in his hair. Norcross grabbed me by the tunic and raised me, blade under my chin. Suddenly, the bastard's eyes lit up with recognition. His hair. I do know you from somewhere else. Where, fool? Tell me. I saw that I was doomed. I shot a glare back in his face. My wife. What'd you do to Sophie? Your wife. The knight sniffed. What would I do with the wife of a lowly fool? Except fucker. Like, I, I understand the question. It just doesn't make any sense. Like, I don't fuck down. Like, I don't cheat down. Dude, like, I just cussed. He cussed first. I guess I should put the explicit on this one. Okay, cool. I'm safe. What do you expect him to do? He doesn't fuck out of his league. He, he, he's going up in the rankings. 
<sighs> you should have known this is a setup. Ain't nobody fucking down out here. Huh, ain't nobody down to fuck. No, everybody's down to fuck, but ain't nobody fucking down. Sorry, kids. I just read the book. <sighs> Cock! I lunged towards him, but he gripped me by the hair, and with the leverage of his arms and the blade stuck firmly under my chin, forced me down slowly to my knees. Listen good, fool. I have seen you. But where? Where have I seen your face before? Veil du Ped. I spat out the words. That little shithole, Norcross snorted. You burned our inn. You killed my wife and child, Felipe. He was thinking back. The tiniest smile cracked his lips. I do remember now. You were the little red squirrel who tried to stop me from dunking the miller's son. Norcross's smile widened. And what of the vaunted Hugh? The jester of jesters who studied under Norbert at Bore. His grin deepened into a roaring laugh. You? You are an innkeeper. A fraud. I pressed towards him again, but his blade stabbed into my neck. I felt it cut skin. You took my wife. You hurled my son into flames. If I did, all the merrier, you lowly worm. Norcross shrugged. Then he winked at Estella. I can tell that you're greatly offended, my lady. Go now and report the affront. She rotted her blouse and scurried away. I will, my lord. Thank you for coming when you did. She ran out the room. Guards! I heard her shout echo. Help me! Guards! Norcross turned back to me. His eyes were hard set and victorious. What do you say, fool? It seems the laugh is mine after all. Chapter 53 I was hurled, hands bound, into a dark, empty cell on the castle's first floor. There I nervously passed the night. I knew my fate was sealed. Lady Estella would play the offended role, just as she had played me last night. Norcross, the vindicated hero. It would be my word against that of nobles. All the laughter in the world couldn't save me now. I was jolted by a loud rattling at the door. A sliver of light appeared beneath it. It was day. Three brawny guards in Baldwin's uniform came into the room. The captain yanked me up. If you know any good jokes, Caratop, now would be the time. I was pushed roughly into the great hall. The court was buzzing with knights and courtiers just as it had been the day I arrived. A messenger was informing the court about some renowned knight who had been slaughtered by outlaws in a neighboring duchy. Baldwin slouched in his elevated chair, chin in hand, and beckoned the man forward. The vaunted Adamar, killed in his own home. Not just killed, my lord. The messenger was clearly uncomfortable, forced to deliver such news. Impelled to the wall of the chapel by his own limbs, his wife next to him. The Lord was crucified. Crucified, Baldwin rose slowly. You say he was roused from his own bed by bandits? Marauders was more like it. They rode in armed and dressed for battle, their faces hidden behind their headpieces. They bore no markings on their armor except for one, a black cross. A black cross? Baldwin widened his eyes. I cannot tell if this shock was sincere or pretended. Norcross, do you know such a band? From the crowd, Norcross stepped forward. He had on a long red surcoat and his war sword hung in his belt. 
I do not, my liege. Poor Adamar, Baldwin swallowed. Tell me, messenger, what treasure did these cowards seek? I know not. The messenger shook his head. Adamar had just returned from the Holy Land, where he had been wounded. He was said to have come back bearing valuable spoils. I had heard the very ashes of St. Matthew. The ashes of Matthew, Baldwin said. Such a prize would be worth the price of a kingdom itself. Only one relic is holier, Norcross said. The Lance Longinus, Baldwin's eyes flashed, whose blade was dipped in the Savior's own blood. Hidden riders, burning and slaughtering, I did not doubt Norcross behind these murders too. How I wanted to cut his throat. Lord, Norcross continued, Adamar's fate is sealed, but there is other business to be done. Ah, yes, the fate of our little fool. Baldwin waved the messenger away, then sat back down and with his finger motioned me forward. I am told, fool, your little dick was wagging itself around where it doesn't belong. You seem to have offended a great many people in your short stay with us. I glared at Norcross. It is I who have suffered the greatest offense. You? How so? Baldwin chuckled. Was Breezemont's wife so unpleasant? He picked a fistful of nuts out of a bowl and began to munch. I never touched the lady. And yet, the evidence says otherwise. You contradict the testimony of a member of my own court. The offended party as well. Against the word of a fool, from what I am now told, not even a true fool. I wrestled in my bond towards Norcross. This noble member of your court has killed my wife, my lord. My wife and child. There was a hush in the crowd. Norcross shook his head. The fool has it in his mind that I ruined him as punishment for abandoning his obligation to you when he ran off to the crusade. And did you, knight? Asked Baldwin. Norcross merely shrugged. Truly, lord, I, I do not recall. A trickle of cruelest laughter sprinkled through the room. The knight does not recall, ex-fool. Do you contradict again? It was him, your lordship. His face was hidden, just like it was at his poor knight spoken of today. Norcross stepped towards me, reaching for his sword. Again, you incite me, fool. I will split you in two. Be still. The duke put up his hand. You will have your chance. You make a grave charge, fool, yet I am informed the crusade continues, that the armies of Raymond and Bohemond are right now inside of the holy city. Yet you, somehow, are here. Tell me, how was your service there discharged so soon? I was about to stammer back a reply, but to discharge I had none. I dropped my head. A convicting silence filled the room. Baldwin curled a smile. You claim injury, fool, yet it seems it is your offenses that begin to add up. To the crimes of adultery and fraud, I must add desertion. A rising anger swelled in my chest. I lunged in my bonds towards Norcross, but before I had gone a step, the Duke's men kicked me to the floor. The fool wants at you, Norcross, Baldwin said. And I him, my lord. And you shall have him, but it belittles you, knight, to take him in contest. I think I have let you suffer ill from this squirrel once too often. Take him away, he waved. At noon tomorrow, you may chop off his head. You honor me, the knight bowed. 
Baldwin shook his head sadly. Fool, innkeeper, spy, whatever I should call you, it is a great shame. We'll have to deal with Palin Post once more. For your stay here, you certainly provided a good laugh. He stood, wrapped his cloak around himself, and prepared to leave. Then Baldwin turned. And Norcross? Yes, my liege. No need to waste a sharp blade on the fool's neck. Chapter 54 I was hurled down the stairs to the dungeon, my knees and ribs scraping against a hard rock floor. My nostrils were forced to suck in that same repulsive stench from the night before. I heard laughter and the clang of a heavy door as two burly guards grabbed my arms and tossed me into an open cell. When my eyes cleared, I saw Armand, the jailer, with a mocking grin. Back so soon, Jester? You must have liked the accommodations after all. I was about to tell him to go to hell, but he kicked me in the stomach and the air rushed out of my lungs. This time, I'm afraid we'll be supplying the stew. The guards laughed. Armand, with the strength of a beast, yanked me up into a sitting position. He knelt next to me and shook his head. Always the scum they bring me. Never a noble accused of a fancy crime, just the whores and the motherfuckers. Church thieves, beggars, a few Jews. But a jester? That's a new one. Armand's partner came in, lugging an armful of heavy chains. So we must bind you, jester, and for such a short stay. But the duke is paid for the deluxe room, so chains it is. Armand held me up, pinning my hands behind my back. You're a lucky fool. The blade's painless. Just a little pinprick. Here. He pinched my neck. If you stayed here a while, I could show you some real fun. Ball crackers, nostril rippers, eye screws, red hot pokers right up the old ass. Sure cleans out the sinuses. He nodded towards his partner, who slowly wound the first ring of chain around my chest. My mind flashed to attention. Please! I put up a hand to distract him. Wait a minute. I took a deep breath, quietly sucking in a chest full of air. I know, Armand sighed. It's a little confining at first, but when you get used to them, you'll be sleeping like a log. I put my hand up for another moment, then I flashed him a smile of thanks. I took in three more deep breaths, forcing as much air as I could into my lungs. I felt my whole chest expand. Ready? The jailer arched his eyebrows. I nodded. Ready. Chapter 55 Inside the tiny cell, I twisted and squirmed on my back, and I ground my arms against the tight chains. I had no idea what time it was, how long I had been here. I only knew if I was still here when they came tomorrow, I was a dead man. I let out all my breath, and the slightest space opened to move my arms. Hours passed. A finger's breadth of freedom came, then another. I felt the chains loosen some, but not enough. I narrowed my shoulders and tucked my chin inside the chain. For the first time in hours, I took a breath with ease. I snaked an arm through the bonds, then the other, and a loop of chain went over my head. Then I felt the echo of voices coming down the stairs. Someone delivering dinner. Time for soup. The guards were taking their meal, laughing as they ate. Other prisoners were grumbling, calling out. Then footsteps. A last meal arriving for me. So, a familiar voice said with a sigh. It seems I'm back in business. I raised my eyes. 
It was Palimpos, the disposed jester, standing in front of my cell. He carried my staff. Come to gloat, I muttered, swallowing the bitterest taste of defeat. Not at all. He dangled a set of keys. In truth, I have come to set you free. I widened my eyes in surprise. I was sure this had to be some kind of cruel joke. Payback. I waited for the guards to come and laugh, but they did not. Bet and I have drugged the guards with the soup. Quick now, let's get you out of here. Bet? And you? I could not believe what he was saying. This was the man I had sacked. Now he was dangling my freedom before my eyes. Is this real? It is real if you can get up off your ass. He inserted a key into the lock and turned it, the door creaking open. I still could not believe it, but it didn't matter. Even if this was just a cruel joke, even if Norcross hit a few feet away, set to cut me in two, I was dead tomorrow anyway. Somehow we have to get you out of those chains, Palimpos exhaled. Not a problem, I said. I wiggled my shoulders and arms, and before his eyes slithered through the top links. Then I began to unwrap the chains until they fell to my ankles. I kicked them free. The jester looked astonished. Damn, you are good, he exclaimed. Quick, come. I held him back. Why? Why are you doing this for me? Professional courtesy, the jester shrugged. Please do not joke. I put my hand on his shoulder. Tell me why. Okay, I gotta say it again. You know I have to. You know I have no choice. <clears throat> Please do not joke. I put my hand on his shoulder. Tell me why. He looked at me with pained eyes. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's funnier because it's after I sang and that was a horrible tone. Like, it was bad, but still. He looked at me with pained eyes. You saved the loved ones of a friend of mine. You think you're the only one who will risk everything for love? I stared at him in disbelief. You? And bet? What's so hard to believe, man? Besides, it would have been a shame to waste you. You weren't really half bad. He handed me my pouch of belongings, my staff, and a dark-colored cloak. I removed the knife from my pouch and put it in my belt, under my tunic. Then I donned the cloak and headed for the stairs. Not that way, Palimpos cautioned, taking my arm. Follow me. He led me deeper into the dungeon. The jagged cavern widened, then narrowed again into an opening no bigger than a small cave. At a spot he knew, Palimpos knelt and pulled a stone from the wall near the floor. A passageway appeared. There's a fork halfway through. When you reach it, head left. It empties into the moat. Head towards the forest. In the darkness, you'll be safe. Go right and you'll end up back at the castle. Remember, left. I crouched down to the passage. You're a good man. I'm sorry that I caused you any harm. Oh, what's a little risk of one's life when there's love in the air, he grinned. Tell Norbert he should not sleep easy. Next time, it'll be I who pressed the attack. He pushed me forward and I steadied myself with my staff. The passage was low-ceilinged, narrow, and jagged. My feet struck cold water up to my shins. It smelled foul. I bumped into floating objects. I was sure they were dead rats. I waved goodbye and, leveling my rod, hustled through. 
left, Palin Pelcher said, beyond the castle walls, to the forest and freedom. But when I got to the fork, I didn't hesitate. I turned to right. I headed along the dark, murky walls back to the castle. There was one last thing I had to do. Chapter 56 The dark tunnel led out in all places in the hearth of the great meeting room deep inside the castle. I pushed the stone slab out of the way of the opening and wormed my way through. Sleeping nights lay all around. If they woke, I was as good as dead. I crept silently about the room, lifting a sword from one knight who snored dead to the world. I snatched a piece of cheese off the floor and ate the morsel furtively. Then I hurried out the room. I knew not what hour it was, but the castle halls were dark and completely quiet. Declining candles flickered against the walls. I rushed towards the castle's main entrance, careful not to encounter anyone. Outside the entryway, my heart relaxed. I had not been seen. Soldiers milled about the dark courtyard. Guards paced on the ramparts. A horse neighed as a rider galloped in from outside. I quickly crossed the courtyard, huddled in my cloak. I knew the room where Norcross slept, one near the barracks. It lay up a narrow stone staircase, torches lighting the walls on either side. I made my way to the door. Then I took several deep breaths. A flash of nerves slithered down my spine. From inside the room came curious noises, giggling and squeals. The bastard was in, all right. I removed the sword from under my cloak. This was for my wife and child. You are stupid, stupid. Like, if I got away, I ain't coming back. Like, the very next minute, like, you let me out and I go right back. Like, if somebody tells me you're getting a whooping in the morning for eating this cake and send me to the room to think about what I had done, and then somebody else unlocks the door and lets me out, I would be a real fool to go back and eat that cake. But at the same time, if it's lemon cake, I'm going to risk it all. I am. I understand now. I get it. Your wife is lemon cake. Okay. Chapter 57. I unlatched and pushed open the heavy door to Norcross's room. It was dimly lit. A mound of clothes lay on the floor. Norcross's. And a lady's. There was a sound of heavy panting and grunts. On the heavy posted bed, I saw a partially clad woman bracing her arms against the headboard with her legs akimbo. Norcross, wearing only his under tunic, hammered her from behind. It took me a moment to recognize the Lady Estella. Her and Norcross's ardor was so great, I wasn't spotted until I was well into the room. The night turned first. Who goes? I stepped forward into the light and winked at Estella. My lady, I bowed. It seems you're once again offended. As often as possible, it appears. You, Norcross said. His eyes lit up as if he were staring at a roasted side of beef. Me, I replied, a smile on my lips. Norcross pulled himself off of Stella, who covered herself with bed sheets. He stood up, his prick still quivering. That goes right alongside cock. Prick. And people use that as a put down. You're a prick. You're a cock. You're a prick. His prick still quivering and crudely wiped himself with his own shirt. That had to be nasty. I mean, I'm certain that them folks weren't washing, and he was just all out and metal and hot and just sweaty balls and 
dick and then he was inside of a lady who I smelled like lavender. I'm not going to shame her. Not going to do it. Get in where you fit in. But now he's going to be walking around with his shirt, holding it up to people's face like, sniff this. Smell this shirt. Smell this shirt. However you got yourself free, you have great balls to come here. Good. Then at least one of us does, I said, glancing down. Norcross curled a smile. In no hurry, he reached for his sword. I might as well take your head tonight. Then I can sleep late tomorrow. Estella grabbed her garments and ran, half naked, towards the door. Don't go, Estella, Norcross said. Nothing perks my prick like spilling a man's guts in front of him. I'll be back inside you before you dry. Norcross chuckled. He seemed in no great hurry as he circled away from the bed, flexing his chest muscles, looking at me contemptuously, as if it were a bug he were about to squash. Here, fool. Have your justice. Then he let out a fierce cry and swung his sword at my neck in a mighty arc. I stood my ground and his sword clashed against mine with a loud clang. At the impact, I swung underneath, but Norcross parried as if his sword had no weight. He was a skilled fighter. I could see that from the first blows. I had learned well in the crusade. I, I was certainly frightened of no one. But it flashed in my head that he was far more experienced than I. A knight. And a killer of women and children. Norcross grunted and swung his sword fiercely, as if to cut me in two. I leapt backwards, the blade slicing by with a loud whoosh. Norcross swung the weapon in a continuous motion and charged me again. I breached my sword to take the blow and force his to the floor. We stood there, eye to eye, our swords pinned. You fight like a woman, he grinned. Then he butted me in the forehead and sent me reeling. I caught myself on the bed, Estella scampering out of my way. He charged again, this time hammering his sword twice at my shoulders. Somehow, I blocked both blows. Sparks flew from the clash of steel on steel. The chilling clang of death reverberated in my ears. I swung back. Norcross blocked it with ease. He stood up, my sword almost effortlessly. Then, as he pushed it downward, it grazed against my arm, taking a slice of flesh. I let out a howl. Singeing pain sliced through me. The wound ran red on my forearm. Know the feel, Norcross grinned assuredly. That will be your neck a moment from now. He came at me, swinging his mighty sword back and forth. I blocked it two, three times, but the weight was overpowering. I felt my arms growing weary. Each blow, I found myself parrying late. I was a mere instant from having his sword plunged to my chest. I wanted to kill him. I wanted him to die, but I was losing. Any moment might be my last. Finally, he forced me back into a corner. Frantically, I swung one last time, and he blocked me with ease. He was laughing, knowing he had me. His stale breath was in my face. The smell of his sweat tormented me. The awful sneer on his face could be the last thing I ever saw. Go to your grave knowing that I fucked your wife. I shot my seed into her, and when I finished, she asked for more. My sword was slipping in my grip. He was closing on my neck, inches from slicing through the bone. With my free hand, I reached into my belt. My knife there. My last chance. Norcross's eyes were fiery and determined. Listen close, fool. That 
is the last thing you will ever hear. For Sophie! For Felipe! I yelled in his face. In that instant, I shoved the knife upward into his chest. I felt sinew tear, bone crack, but he did not move a muscle in his face. I pushed the knife harder and harder, but his gaze bore down on me. Incredible. He continued to press his blade into my neck. Then Norcross opened his mouth as if to add one last thought. This time, a stream of blood rushed out. I saw his hands loosen on the sword. Then he took a step backwards. A stagger, actually. I pushed him away, my knife buried deep in his chest. Estella screamed as if the knife were sticking in her. Norcross was trying like a drunken man to regain his balance. He wobbled. Then he fell to his knees. He looked up at me, disbelief in his eyes, cupping his own vitals in his hands. Then he killed over, dead. I felt overcome, at first with relief and then with sadness. I had avenged Sophie and Felipe, but I realized there was nothing for me now. I picked up my sword. I had to get out of here. I took Estella by the hair. She had set me up. She had nearly cost me my life. I held her pretty head back and ran the tip of my sword across her neck. Do not shout or call out. Do you understand? She nodded, terror in her round eyes. You are most lucky, I said, forcing a smile, that I am a gentle fool. Chapter 58 Exhausted and afraid that Estella would sound the alarm, I staggered from the fallen knight's room. I was now a murderer. Dude, you were at the Crusades. Trust me, you marked off that tally a while back. I took my staff and sword and was able to climb down the ramparts from an undetected spot near Norcross's chamber. The moat was dry, and I crossed it on foot. From there, I ran. Ran in the shadows through the darkened streets of the surrounding village. Ran until I found the woods. My arm hung like a rope sliced open. The wound was bleeding profusely. I came upon a stream and cleaned it as best I could and tied it with a strip of cloth from my tunic. I was an outcast again, a criminal now, not just a deserter from a far-off war, but a murderer, a killer of a noble. No doubt Baldwin would come after me. I needed to put as much distance as I could between me and Triel, but where would I go? I hid in the woods, keeping off the main roads. I was hungry and cold, but the knowledge that I had avenged Sophie and Felipe warmed me inside. I felt vindicated, restored. I hope God forgave me. Just after first light, I heard a loud rumble. I hid in the brush as a posse of armed riders dressed in Baldwin's colors galloped by. I didn't know where they were heading. Vale du Père? Sweeping the roads and villages? I headed east, tracking the main road through the deepest part of the forest. I avoided any travelers I saw. I didn't know where I was going. My arm ached and throbbed. A day out, I came to a fork in the road that I now knew well. I had passed her on my recent journey to Triel. To the east lay my old village, Vel du Père. A day's trek. My inn was there. Matthew, my brother-in-law, what family I still had. My friends, Odo, Georges. Memories of Sophie in the grave of my poor baby son. They will welcome me there. I was Hugh, spinner of tales. I made everybody laugh. 
Surely they will welcome back a lost son. Then a sharp sadness came over me. I couldn't go back there. My village lay in Baldwin's territory. They will look for me there. And it was not my home. Not anymore. Just a place where memories will haunt my dreams. Like a good song, life has verses. The Goliards have taught me. Each verse has to be sung. It takes all of them to make a song. It is the entire chant song you name. But when you think of it, when you smile, it's a favorite verse to delight your ears. Sophie, for me, you will always be that verse. But now I must go. I must leave you. I gripped my staff. I took a deep breath. I chose to trail north towards whatever new life lay ahead. Towards Bore. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Leave review on Spotify. It takes like eight seconds. You can leave review on Apple Podcasts. You can leave review on Podchaser and then copy and paste that into the Good Pods app. Uh, you can donate to the show at patreon.com slash single simulcast or at buymeacoffee.com slash sscast or on the Good Pods app. You can leave a tip in the tip jar. Thank you so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm going to holler at you later. Peace. Outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast.